It's my last episode of Slums Film History, and I chose something that would mark the end. The end of the world, that is. But today we're not talking about near-death experiences or stories where something almost happened to Earth, but then we were saved by Bruce Willis on a suicide mission. Today we're talking about the end of humanity. Movies where there isn't a soul alive at the end. Maybe Jesus came and smote all the non-believers. Maybe a rogue comet or star blows us all up. Maybe the world gets covered in garbage, or maybe it's just a plain old zombie apocalypse. Either way, the Earth's going down somehow eventually, but at least we'll have fun talking about it today as we discuss the end of the world. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from murderous gays, to evil sandas, to horny nuns. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Hey, Slate. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Good. Are you excited about where I just talk the whole time about how everybody dies? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, that's my favorite thing that happens in a movie is when everybody dies everybody at the dies. end. Everybody dies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to quote John Waters, I love a feel bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. I feel like my cold open was pretty good. We call yeah. our little intros a cold open. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what your favorite cold opens are, because this is kind of the point of where we spend most of our time in the edit process is making sure that cold open is a real attention grabber. Attention grabber. And so and that's kind of when you start to listen and be like, all right, this episode is either going to work or it's not. So I want to go through them and I want you to tell me what your favorites are of yours. And I'll tell you what a few of my favorite are. So we're going to start from the beginning. Okay, I can tell you right now, my favorite from season one i think hooker vengeance was my first favorite cold open i did i just liked how i wrote that if there's one thing i've learned over a lifetime of watching movies is that hollywood loves prostitutes yes those mysterious women of the night are quite the rage in american cinema movies have showed us everything from damaged hooker ingenues like elizabeth shoe in the gritty leaving las vegas to manic pixie dream girl whores like julia roberts in pretty woman Beware, because there are some hookers out there that are looking for a little payback. These whores are settling scores, and they traded in their heart of gold for a fistful of lead. On today's Slums of Film History, we'll be talking about movies where prostitutes become the Avengers. So get a cheap motel room, you'll only need an hourly rate, put the money on the nightstand, and remember, no rough stuff. Because she may love you a long time, but she'll kill you real quick. And my second one, I think, is profanity, just because I get to use a lot of profanity, and that yeah, was fun. That so good. that was good, yeah. 
in mine, I, I think I really like Hagsploitation, but Bad Babies I spent a long time cutting just because it had a lot of like layered like baby one. sounds and yeah. Rosemary's Baby that's disturbing. and that's It's good. Alive. Yeah, that one was kind of scary. Yeah, that's, that's scary, so that was my favorite. It's Alive. It's Alive. It's Alive. It's Alive. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? He has his father's eyes. All right, on to season two. I like the music cues I used for head trauma, and I liked Satanic Panic just because I got to use Slayer and stuff. Sometimes the little sound clip I have at the beginning just sums it up, and I found like a cool sound clip mm-hmm. about movies that are satanic, and so I, I was like, I just liked that opening. Satanic cults, what appear to be highly secretive groups committing criminal acts, including murder. Here at the neighborhood videotape store, take a look at the number of movies that involve Satanism. Most were popular films in their day. But even today, if one is inclined to believe in Satanism, it's a way to actually see the devil and perhaps be inspired. It wasn't that a demon jumped out of the TV and grabbed me by the face and drug me down the road and forced me to join the Church of Satan. It was just that there were certain things in this program that piqued my interest, and then I decided to study more on my own. If the devil has PR, then it is, you know, cinema. I think my favorite for season two had to be Rabies, just because I found that song. Yeah, it's great. And I just love the song. It's an Alice you know, Cooper it was, song, it right? Alice Cooper song. I used one heard of it. in another episode we'll talk about. Season three. Season three, I kind of like my Parasites one for an opening. But I think Black Exploitation, the first one, was my favorite opening that I did of that season. Because yeah, I got to use a lot of Isaac Hayes music and shit, and it was fun. A detective job. What kind? Your kind, you take it. Oh, jab me, man. What kind of fucking job are you talking about? Somebody kidnapped my daughter, Marcy. They believe no ransom, no nothing. And nobody saw nothing. I want you to find her. That's the fucking job. I get 50 bucks an hour. Plus expenses, and no questions asked about how I spend it. You got it. One more thing. You send another cat after me with a gun, I'll kill the motherfucker, and I'll come looking for you. And I'll get you, Bumpy. You believe it. I think I'm going to have to say my favorite was probably LGBT psychopaths. I like that a lot. I've really used that one as kind of like a whole bunch of like elements like pulled together from cruising. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs to, to pull that one together a little bit. So I like that one. A New York City detective in search of a killer is about to disappear into the night. Is it dangerous? I can't talk about it. How do you know you're going to end up the same person when it's over? Season four. Season four. I think Kid Killing, just because I also found a cool song from Alice Cooper to use in that. <laughs> Dead babies can take care of themselves. Dead babies can take 
gonna have to say I think my favorite was Crop Killers. That, that was, was one that I just never thought. I thought about it the second before I started writing it, and mm. then it just really started to pull together. So. Feed me, see more. Feed me all night long. <laughs> Cause if you feed me, see more, I can grow up big and strong. Good. Well, yeah, I think we've had some really good cold opens. I think we've had some not so great ones. Sometimes Certainly. we're just like, just throw a stupid track on it and get this fucker out the door. But oh, yeah. I think the ones that we spend a lot of time and layer all of the sounds and songs and clips and everything are usually yeah. the ones that are best. So sometimes you do it. Sometimes you just got to get the fucking episode out. Yeah, because it's Tuesday night. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Slade's going to yell at me. He's going to curse me. All right. You ready to talk about the end of the world? Yes. Okay. So today is my last episode of all time. Probably. <laughs> Maybe. And I wanted something to close this out, but I had no idea what that would be. And then I randomly watched this movie called Miracle Mile from 1988. Oh, yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe movies of where the world actually comes to an end. Like, not just that we're all in the future and it's all dystopian, but like the world Earth has come to an end in some way. That could be nuclear war, natural disaster, like a comet, or even like the rapture. Something where what we know is life on Earth comes to an abrupt end. So again, in my cold open, Armageddon does not count because the Earth wasn't hit with an asteroid. It was avoided. The day after tomorrow doesn't count because everyone just moves to Mexico. And Independent Day doesn't count because we beat the aliens. We're talking about movies like Melancholia and Dr. Strangelove today. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to do something a little different, just like I did with Incest, is I'm going to go by global catastrophe type instead of chronology. Oh, good, good. I'm excited about that. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the world and how it began and, of course, how it may end. Okay. What's the point of even having a world without slums of film history anyway? I agree. The solar system we live in is estimated to be about 13.8 billion years old. This all started with the Big Bang Theory, of course, and that is that the universe began as a very hot, small, and dense super force with no stars, no atoms, no form. There was no structure whatsoever. Then about 13.7 billion years ago, space expanded very quickly, thus the name Big Bang. Mm -hmm. This started the formation of atoms, which eventually led to the formation of stars and galaxies. And it was George Lemaitre who first noted in 1927 (laughs) that an expanding universe could be traced back in time to an originating single point. The universe is still expanding today. It's also getting colder. Earth won't be here forever, and there are a lot of theories on how it will end. The late Stephen Hawking had some interesting theories. The first would be that overpopulation would cause so much heat to the planet that the surface of Earth would get so hot that we'd be forced to leave the planet. He also was nervous about artificial intelligence and the fact that no one was really thinking about the end game of AI and that it could easily get out of control and essentially take over, making humans irrelevant. If machines are smarter and more durable than us, then they can make new machines and we won't be needed anymore. Of course, this wouldn't end the world, but it would end the world for us. Mm Mm-hmm. The sun is the reason why we're all able to live on Earth, but there's a good chance it could also kill us. Solar flares or sunspots, which can be larger than the Earth itself, could flare up and cause a lot of damage here. It probably wouldn't kill us, but it would kill all the electricity, heat, air condition, internet, GPS, etc. And it would kind of like, you know, send us back into the Stone Age. Internet. And I wrote most of us would probably die without the internet. <laughs> The sun will also probably eventually burn out and then we'd all freeze to death. So a couple a couple more billion years and the sun's probably going down. Yeah. Or an asteroid could kill us. It would only take an asteroid about 60 miles wide to kill the entire planet. Yeah. 
there are a bunch of other ways we can die, but I want to start with asteroids since that's the way we all die in the first film of today, When Worlds Collide from 1951. Okay. When Worlds Collide is still considered to be one of the best 1950s science fiction classics. And it's a pretty good template for not just end of the world movies, but ecological disaster movies as well. Mm-hmm. It's about a scientist who discovers that a rogue star is heading towards Earth and there's nothing they can do to stop it. As it gets closer, different countries start building spaceships to evacuate and find another place to live. But volcanoes start to erupt, tsunamis form, and earthquakes start to fuck everything up. There's kind of like a super cut of like all of this like natural disaster stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. A lottery is put into place to see who will go and who will stay. But then, of course, money and power and riots start. In the end, a select few get away and the world blows up behind them. They land on a planet called Zira. And as they walk on the planet for the first time, they see big alien structures built. So they know that they're not the first ones to find Zira. It's a pretty good watch even now. Yeah, it's good. But a comet doesn't always hit Earth in the movies. In the 1984 B-movie Night of the Comet... (laughs) I remember that movie. Yeah, it's simply passing in the tail of a comet for the first time in history since the dinosaurs. So the heroine of the movie, Reggie, spends the night in a projection booth of a movie theater with her boyfriend, and when they wake up, they realize something catastrophic has happened. There's red dust covering everything, and Reggie's boyfriend is immediately killed by a zombie. Reggie's sister also survived since she slept in a steel shed outside the house. Apparently, everyone that wasn't encased in steel either evaporated or turned into zombies. Hmm. Reggie and Sam battle zombies and evil scientists until they and their new boyfriends are presumably the only ones still alive on Earth. Night of the Comet was intended to capitalize on the quirky early 80s type movies like Repo Man and Valley Girl. Oh, yeah. But the funny thing was is that it was made for less than a million dollars and it made 15 million at the box office. It got really great reviews and some say it was the inspiration behind Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hmm. Oh, and one last thing, the director, Tom Eberhardt, also made the film's Gross Anatomy, Mm -hmm. All I Want for Christmas, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and of course your favorite, Captain Ron. Oh, God. Have you seen Night of the Comet? I saw it a long time ago. Yep. It's now a cult classic. I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Yeah. Did you watch it? Uh, I watched the... I saw it not too long ago anyway. It was, you know, some random movie that ended up on my Netflix and I watched it. It's good. It's a fun watch. I mean, stupid as shit. Right. And it's poor quality as well. You know, it's a a really low budget movie, but it's it's got some stuff that you're like, oh, this, this wasn't that bad. Yeah. Cool. Have you seen Captain Ron? I want to say no, but didn't you make me watch that one yeah, time? Yeah, I did. We were staying in a hotel, and they always have three DVDs in this hotel that we stay in when we yeah. go to the beach. Randomly, they have three hotels, and we're always really excited to see which DVDs are there. And mm-hmm. they had Captain Ron, <laughs> and I made Tom watch it. Yeah, it we were. Happy. I think we were pretty drunk, though, yeah. so thank God. Luckily, you don't remember any of it. I so. don't. Cormac McCarthy's Pulitzer Prize winning book The Road was made into a movie with Viggo Mortensen in 2009. In it, a man and his son are some of the last humans alive after some sort of disaster has left the world covered in ash and no one has any food. They wander in attempts to get further south before the winter. The disaster is never explained, but I dug around and writer Cormac McCarthy visited a scientific institute and spoke to a paleobiologist about the meteor that supposedly killed the dinosaurs. As we talked about earlier, if a meteor large enough crashed into the Earth, even if it didn't burn up the whole planet, the smoke and ash from everything on fire would block the sun, contaminate the water, and kill anything that couldn't protect itself. So basically everything except humans. Another thing to mention in that movie, there's no animals alive. It's just humans. Right. 
if you haven't seen The Road, it's a super bleak but really great movie. And the book's really good, too. Yeah, I've yeah. read the book and I saw the movie. Yeah. They're bleak as fuck. I love bleak movies. I, I love it. Fun fact on The Road. So the scene where the group that has the truck that comes out of that tunnel and it's mm-hmm. all dilapidated, that's a road in Pennsylvania that was decommissioned. And so it's just like overgrown like that already. So it's like a stretch of road that they bypass. Oh, cool. And so people ride their bikes or something or go over there. If you're like an urban explorer, it's something you can go... It's not too far from Breezewood, which is just a truck stop town um, on the turnpike in Pennsylvania. But yeah, the the road that they use for some scenes in the road is just a, a decommissioned road that's all overgrown. That's really in cool. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about Lars von Trier a lot in this podcast, but I don't think we've ever talked about his end of the world movie Melancholia for 2011. I don't think so, no. Yeah. Melancholy was the second film in Lars Van Trier's depression trio, sandwiched between Antichrist and Nymphomaniac. Mm-hmm. Most would say it's the best of the three and centers around two sisters played by Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst is getting married even though it looks like the world may be ending. The marriage falls apart quickly and the second part of the film deals with Charlotte Gainsbourg and the impending end of the world. The last scene in the movie has the two of them plus Charlotte Gainsbourg's kid all go up and watch a giant planet crash into the earth. Mm-hmm. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah. I remember being a little bit bored by the first half. Lars Ventura movies are so long. They are. But I thought the second half was banging. Yeah. Really, really good. I, did I you did you like Melancholia? I actually, I like Melancholia and I'm not a big Lars von Trier yeah. fan. So I liked the movie and I thought Kristen Dunst was great in it. Yeah. I think showing depression on screen is a hard thing to do. Yeah. And I think he got it. Yeah, totally. I mean, he framed it around a end of the world scenario, but just her depiction of being someone that's suffering from severe depression and in a weird way, knowing it's all going to end on a cosmic scale kind of made her feel better. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. It is interesting. So it's a good movie. I think it's at least the most watchable in my opinion. It's definitely the most watchable. When I was thinking of, you know, what people would say his best movie is, I think they probably still say Breaking the Waves is the best one. Yeah. But it's a tough watch. Mm -hmm. It's a really, I've only seen it one time. The last Comet slash Meteor movie I want to talk about is Seeking a Friend for the End of the world from 2012 oh yeah this was steve carell and kira knightley in a romantic comedy about the impending end of the world a comet is heading for earth but all attempts to stop it fail everyone is given three weeks to live and they all deal with it differently some kill themselves some have orgies take a lot of drugs etc steve carell just kind of continues on with his boring life he meets Karen Knightley and they embark on a road trip to help her find a way to get back to her family in the UK for the end of the world. She ends up coming back and they climb into bed together as they talk and hear loud explosions. The screen goes white and then black at the end. Mm-hmm. Decent movie. It kind of was kind of a, a little bit of a mess. Yeah. And did you see that one? Yet? I did. It had no impression on me. You yeah. know, nothing lasting kind of like uh, the earth in that movie. So yeah. maybe that was the point. But, maybe so. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch gears and talk about nuclear war. All right. The first film I could find that shows the end of the world due to nuclear radiation is On the Beach from 1959. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the Beach was based on the book that probably everyone, including myself, had to read in high school. Did you have to read it? I didn't, but I remember. You were supposed yeah, yeah. Cliff Notes, motherfucker. It was directed by Stanley Kramer, starring Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Fred Astaire, and Anthony Perkins. Now, that's a cast. That is a cast. Flash! Motion picture history is made as Stanley Kramer's production of On the Beach opens all over the world in unprecedented six-continent premieres and meets with unprecedented success as critics everywhere hail it as a motion picture milestone. 
it was a huge deal at the time because of its super bleak subject matter and the fact that we dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki less than 15 years prior. Mm -hmm. Rough plot, an atomic nuclear something or other has happened. Nobody knows why or how. Right. But no communication is coming from the Northern Hemisphere and it seems like all life there is gone. And everyone in Australia is waiting for the winds to bring it there and kill everyone. It's a super positive movie. Yeah, sounds like it. There was also The Day the Earth Caught Fire from 1961, which was a little bit more like when worlds collide than on the beach. It was purely science fiction about a series of nuclear tests that knocked the Earth off its axis and pushed it further towards the sun. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not about nuclear war. They're just doing all these tests. But then, of course, it blew the world too far. So this, of course, made things catch fire, hence the name. The only solution would be to do more nuclear tests on the opposite part of the world and then hope that it knocked the Earth back into orbit. I guess that makes sense. The movie (laughs) leaves the viewer to wonder whether it worked or whether the Earth actually caught fire, as the very literal title had suggested. So Mm -hmm. it kind of has an open ending of like, we're going to try it and see what happens, and the movie's over. Right. In Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964, the whole movie is a black comedy about atomic bombs so i'm not going to spend much time on this but of course one of the most memorable scenes is when major kong rides the atom bomb down like he's riding a bull and it detonates Mm -hmm. i love that scene that's a great scene back inside the ward room dr strangelove recommends that everyone bunkers down so they won't feel the radiation then he stands up out of his wheelchair to walk followed by a bunch of simultaneously nuclear bomb mushroom clouds Mm -hmm. the movie ends with the vera lynn version of the song we'll meet again Mm mm-hmm it's still super funny. Like it's it's a comedy and and it's still very funny. A lot of comedies from, you know, especially the early sixties, late sixties, they're just not funny anymore. And this one is still very funny and, and still a biting satire. Yep. So, yeah. In 1983, there was a TV movie called The Day After, which was about nuclear war between the U S and the Soviet union. It stars Steve Gutenberg, Jason Robards and John Lithgow and it's super bleak like everyone dies at the end Mm. and it was a really big deal at the time it was originally supposed to be a four-hour miniseries but ABC had a hard time getting sponsors and it was chopped down to two hours but then it didn't pass the network censors because they thought it would scare children but it had to be cut again it was a huge success and 62% of people watching TV watched it. So like, you know how when they used to do the, like the Nielsen ratings. So yeah. it got 12 Emmy nominations and even Reagan watched it and said in his diary that it changed his mind on nuclear war policy. You can watch it on YouTube. So I have a story about this yeah. uh-huh. movie. I figured you'd probably know, oh, you'd know this one. So I did watch it. Mm-hmm. it. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah. It made me think that we were going to fucking die from nuclear war any fucking minute. Uh-huh. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you have a realization about a certain reality that the world is. Right. That was when I realized that we have that type of weapons and we could just die in any fucking minute. I yeah. don't know why the fuck I watched that shit, but probably because Steve Gutenberg was in it. And I think he was like a police academy or something. I was like, yeah, oh, this will like, be, oh, this'll this'll be, be an adventure movie. And this was a bleak fucking sad movie i watched it yeah 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 it's it's dark man it's really i mean everybody dies at the everybody end everybody dies they just lingering slowly death. yeah the day after was filled with explosions and dead bodies and special effects oh, yeah. but yeah. the movie testament from 1983 also dealt with nuclear war in a very different way mm-hmm. so this movie was in really small release but it, it was kevin costner and rebecca de mornay in it like, oh, wow. before they were famous it focuses on a suburban family outside of san francisco after a series of nuclear explosions although we never really know why or how kind of like on the beach 
The family is far enough away that they don't immediately die and instead slowly die of radiation exposure. Mm -hmm. It's a super happy movie. Mm -hmm. And the last nuclear war movie I want to talk about is Miracle Mile from 1988. Okay. So first off, you've seen this movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a very good movie. It's good. I like it a lot. It was one of those strange nights. (gasps) Finally meet the right girl and you blow it. That could ruin your whole day. In a big way. Dad, it's happening. This is it. This is really it. This is the big one. This is a joke, right? It's really happening. 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 It's about this guy played by Anthony Edwards, who was Goose in Top Gun. Did you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Who meets a girl in the La Brea Tar Pits in L.A. They immediately fall in love and they make a date for later that night at midnight after she gets off work. But he falls asleep and misses it. He runs to a payphone to call her, but the phone rings. He answers it. Yeah. A man thinks he's someone else and tells him that nuclear war is about to happen. So Goose can't tell if it's real or not. And he wanders into a diner and tells everyone in there that nuclear war is about to happen. Some of them believe him. Some of them don't. But there's this woman that arranges a plane to Antarctica from LAX where she thinks that, you know, they'll be safe. So Goose leaves with them, but he jumps out of the van to go find the tar pit girl and says he'll meet them at the airport once he gets her. He then has to go through riot-stricken L.A. to find his new girlfriend, which he does, but he keeps accidentally killing people along the way. Mm -hmm. It's a funny way to keep the movie going. Yeah, yeah. He finally gets into the helicopter with her, but there's a huge explosion and the helicopter crashes into the La Brea tar pit where the movie started. Yeah. As Tar fills up the helicopter, he calms her by saying, don't worry, they'll probably end up in a museum someday or maybe it'll turn them into a diamond. In the background, there's a final explosion and then the movie ends. So there is kind of like a direct hit, you know, that you know that that's the end of it. So Mm -hmm. I loved this movie. I thought it was a great movie. And I like how it starts off as a meet cute sort of romantic Mm -hmm. comedy kind of thing. But it also is part of that very small subgenre movies, which are like into the night movies where they take place over a course of one night, which I love warriors and after hours and a movie called into the night. And this one, it's just a straight through, not real time, but just over a course of one evening. Yeah. And things just go to shit quick. You know, it's like as soon as they find about nuclear war and then some panic happens and then he's running through chaos trying to find her and he finally gets her. And then, yeah, your bleak ending. I kind of like the thing, too, is that they don't die. In, in the nuclear explosion right. they die in the tar pits they don't yeah. slowly die over a course of months i, I, I like that too but <laughs> you just like all oh, this terrible shit yeah okay let's talk about aliens the first aliens attempt to take over the world movie is the war of the worlds from 1953 mm-hmm. everyone knows this but this was based on hg wells book of the same title that apparently caused mass hysteria after people thought a radio program based on the book was real mm-hmm. in reality it sounds like maybe a few people thought it was real but probably not a lot of people heard it it yeah. wasn't really a very popular show back then so no i think the legend built up that people thought it was real but yeah, yeah you're right it's not Anyway, aliens came from Mars and attacked, and it looked like they were winning, but an Earth pathogen killed them all, and humanity prevailed. Numerous other movies were based on the book, namely the 2005 Steven Spielberg Tom Cruise version. Mm -hmm. But of course, this idea was the basis of everything from Independence Day to Mars Attacks. But all of those movies end with the humans winning. So do any movies end with the aliens taking over? One that I can think of, and it's a terrible movie, and they just made a sequel to it called Skyline. Mm-hmm. I have that in here. Okay, so, and it's not a good movie. It has some interesting pieces to it, but that one, the aliens pretty much just take over. Yep. And then it leaves a, a weird, ambiguous ending that 
that's pretty much the premise mm-hmm. that they take over. I know there's more, but I can't. Well, let me tell you about a couple. So okay. in Invasion of the Body Snatchers yes, of course, from 1956, yeah. we talked about it a lot in Crop Killers. Mm-hmm. The rough plot, a psychiatrist has been seeing patients that think that their friends and relatives have been replaced with almost exact replicas of them. He soon finds out that this is very, very real and that people are being replaced with plant versions of themselves while they sleep. Yeah. And they're being grown in greenhouses until they're ripe to replace humans. This is apparently a plot to take over the world with more evolved plant life that is less emotional than humans and live minus all the things that make us fuck up our own planet, love, hate, politics, war, all that stuff. Right. So basically they're coming here to take the planet quietly and Mm -hmm. and repopulate it. Interesting fact, the original ending was just the doctor screaming as trucks and trucks of pod people were being transported, but the studio thought it was too bleak. So they softened the ending with the CIA being contacted, but we don't know if they take over or not. Right. However, in the 1978 remake with Donald Sutherland, Leonard Nimoy, and Jeff Goldblum, the aliens win in the end. Mm -hmm. The main goal is to not fall asleep since that's when they get you. You can also evade them knowing you're still a human by being kind of like emotionless like they are. You, do you remember the ending? Yeah, it's a pretty big gut punch of an ending. Yeah. So Donald Sutherland is wandering around and you think he's still a human. Nancy Cartwright sees him and calls to him. When he sees her, he emits that pod people squeal and she starts screaming and that's the end. Yeah. And it's implied that she was the last remaining human left. It's a good ending. It's a good ending. Yeah. It's bleak, bleak as hell, but it's good. That's the best version it's of so good. Invasion of the Body Yeah, Statues. it's a better remake than the original. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of plant life, another movie where the aliens win is the remake of Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where in the original ending, the Audrey 2 aliens infiltrate the world, get people to feed them blood, and eventually take it over. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned in Crop Killers, that ending didn't fly with test audiences, but they spent a fortune on it, and you can watch it online restored. I think it's a better ending than the happy ending that's on the movie now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And the happy ending, though, at least has a little what-if tag, you know, because there's a... Totally. That wouldn't qualify it to be mentioned in today's episode. You're, you're because, right. And yeah. the original bleak ending really is a great effect. Oh, yeah. And and you could tell it was very expensive. The ending of Cloverfield seems to suggest that the aliens win. Mm-hmm. And 10 Cloverfield Lane suggests it was happening around the same time as the initial attack. So like 10 Cloverfield Lane, from what I understand, happens at the same time as... Cloverfield, right? I, I don't it's kinda know. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I don't know about the new one either on Netflix. I heard it wasn't good. And then I just had Skyline. I just wrote the movie Skyline from 2010, which I don't remember at all, has aliens winning. So they do. Was it's somebody in it? Was there somebody important in it? No. I didn't even see anybody in the cast that I recognized. You, no, it was nobody. Okay, great. Okay, let's move on to zombies. All right. We talk a lot about zombies, and we talked about Dawn of the Dead and head trauma and splatter, but today I want to focus not on the violence, but on the apocalyptic ideas that George A. Romero had following Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead really only focused around about 24 hours and was a pretty small-scale movie where at the end, the authorities had at least seemed to get the zombie situation under control. Dawn of the Dead was a whole other story, focusing again around an unexplained phenomena of where the dead were suddenly coming to life, biting and killing people, and then those people were coming to life and continuing the chain. And this time, the zombies were a lot quicker and a lot smarter. Everyone knows this, but this time the main location was inside a shopping mall where the last few survivors attempt to wait either for rescue or for the zombies to die out or at least retreat Mm -hmm. and from what i can gather this may be the first movie where the zombies basically take over the world and win the last scene shows the surviving two people getting into a helicopter to escape the mall but there's no indication that there's any survivors beyond the two of them right in the 2004 remake which i've seen a million times have you seen that's a i've seen the remake several times but not more than the original 
I've seen it more than the original. I like the remake. I love the remake. In that one, some of the last few living escaped in souped up vans designed for plowing through hordes of zombies and get to the dad from Modern Family's boat. You remember this? Mm -hmm. The lead has been bitten and he blows himself up on the dock while the last couple people get away. They soon run out of water on the boat and they approach an island. As the credits roll, a gang of zombies attack the boat and take down the camera. So that one I'm saying the zombies win. Yeah. Yeah. 28 days later and 28 weeks later both have ended the world zombie plots although in both of them there are survivors at the end and a possible solution to the problem Mm -hmm. in both the zombies appear to starve to death meaning that it is possible for the earth to repopulate there is an ending to zombieism somehow in I Am Legend with Will Smith, there's an antidote at the end, and so people survive. Same as in World War Z with Brad Pitt. So maybe the only good zombie movies that end in complete zombie takeover are the Dawn of the Dead movies? Well, I say good because I'm sure other movies do, but there are a lot of really bad zombie movies. There are. But you didn't mention Day of the Dead, which is a continuation mm-hmm. of Dawn of the Dead. And same thing, except it's more of a military outpost, but right. the zombies end up taking over yeah and not only that but they have the one like smart zombie or semi-smart zombie guy that they were i think trying to retrain Uh it didn't go well well yeah and even when i was thinking about i was originally going to have Shaun of the dead in here too but it's like they end up learning how to coexist with the zombies which is a funny twist it just doesn't make sense for this episode Mm -mm. okay let's talk about the rapture Oh, oh great so the first movie i want to talk about is a really weird one it's appropriately called The Rapture from 1992, and I just watched it. I've seen it. You know this one? Yeah. At the end of days. There are wars and rumors of wars, Mommy, and a curse devours the earth. And those who live in it are held guilty. All who believe will be raised up. <laughs> All who doubt will be cast down. And at the gates of heaven, all will be forgiven. All but one. The Rapture. Have you seen it recently? No. Or you saw it when it came out? Around the time it came out. I feel like this movie made like $14 at the box right. office. So. Yeah, four of it was for me. You want to tell me anything about it that you remember? So Mimi Rogers is some woman who was doing a lot of group sex stuff yeah. and orgies and stuff and didn't give a fuck. And somehow she got wrapped up in religion. Maybe she felt life was hollow. She or... felt life was re- very hollow. And, mm. you know, just the ways that people get wrapped up in it. A couple of, like, Jehovah's Witnessy type people came to the door. And right. Then other people are kind of into it, so she's asking questions, you know. Getting all religious whenever. She has a kid at some point. With, do you remember the male she has no. it with? It's David Duchovny. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I forgot all about David that. David Duchovny, yeah. So they end up having a kid. She converts him, too. Right. And they're all just... All three of them are just like, we love Jesus. Yeah, they're super God, Jesus they're people. they're really, really, not, what we would consider to be a little nutsy. Yeah, they're like, we're going to send our son Slate to Jesus camp. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> Mimi Rogers and David Duchovny are the worst parents ever. Yeah, pretty much. But I don't remember what happened to their relationship. I feel like they split up or something. So he died. So okay, he that's fired a guy, and the guy comes back to the office and kills everyone. Okay, that's what it was. So he has a senseless death, basically. Yeah. And then the child, I think, gets sick and dies? Or so, no. Oh, I know. Know what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, you tell it from here. I, I'll, now let you, I remember I'll let you tell the shocking part. But so she gets, she's having all these visions and she thinks that basically God has killed David Duchovny and that he's going to come 
God's just going to come and take the two of them up into heaven so that they can all be reunited. That's what she's decided. Right. And he's going to come pick her up in this desert. So she takes her kid out to the desert. She and Mary, they named the kid Mary because of course. Of course they did, yeah. And so they're out in the desert for just like days and days and days waiting for God to come. They don't take any food and they don't take any spare clothes. And Mm -hmm. so they're just like sitting there and the girl starts being like, when is God coming to take us? And she's like, he's coming. Don't worry. He's coming. And then like more time goes by and they're all sunburnt and angry and hungry. They have to steal food and like stuff like that. And I think Mimi Rogers just kind of realizes that like God ain't coming. Right. And so. So doesn't she kill her kid? So she kills the kid. Yeah. She kills the kid. Because they keep being like, we have to get to heaven somehow. So she shoots her daughter in the head yeah she goes to jail for it so she sticks the gun in her mouth but then she can't kill herself she fires all the all the bullets up into the air because if you kill yourself you can't go to heaven right so she you know realizes that's not going to work so then she gets pulled over she confesses to the uh to the murder of her daughter she Mm -hmm. goes to jail and then do you remember what happens yeah while she's in jail the rapture happens and all the like the bars fall out of the jail cell and she's free and a bunch of people like accept Jesus and go to heaven and for some reason she can't she won't do it so she has already you know for the fact that she killed her kid Jesus Jesus or God never showed up to get her to heaven yeah. now she, now she's alone on the planet and she's just kind of like these rules are stupid this this sucks this mm-hmm. really sucks yeah and so she's like i can't like trust god or jesus anymore you know they were supposed to come to me in all these different ways and they didn't i did everything i was supposed to do and like they haven't proven themselves to me right. so she's standing in purgatory with mary and mary's like all you have to do is say i love god and he'll take you like that's all you have to do right and she's like i'm not saying it and she was like, I need him to prove to me why all of this is necessary. And Mary's kind of like, well, that's not really the way it works. Just say, I love God. And she's like, I won't do it. And Mary goes to heaven and she just stays in purgatory. That movie is bonkers. It's bonkers as shit. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? It's so weird. Yeah. but It's uncomparable to any other movie I've ever seen in my life. And the thing is, I don't know what to make of it as far as like... Okay, so it shows the rapture, but I can't imagine any Christian like showing people this movie. No. Because, I mean, it sort of agrees with them. You could look at it as it agreeing with them sure. and that this is a cautionary tale to love Jesus or you're going to be in purgatory like this lady. Someone can make that argument if they're trying to make that argument. Right. But even with that, I can't imagine any like super... I love God Christian nope showing this movie to anybody as part of their argument because it's so fucking weird it's unlike anything you've ever seen because you can't figure out what the message is in the first place right and then it doesn't it doesn't resolve in anything no and the ending is kind of really unsatisfying but in a really satisfying way it's just unlike anything I've ever seen I I don't think it's a great movie but I really enjoyed it and I love that this movie exists so did you watch it on DVD Uh, yeah I did actually it came in my Netflix commentary because that would have been interesting to listen to i'm sure there i don't know i don't know i got it in netflix in the mail and it was one of those you know every now and then i'll dig up one and they're like oop that's got to come out of our you know warehouse that's like in serbia or something like Mm -hmm. that and it takes like two weeks to get here so i forgot you got it when it shows up you're like oh shit i guess i I watched it yeah Yeah. so i I don't know i mean maybe it did maybe it didn't i don't know i just watched the movie and was kind i didn't expect to like it because i thought it was gonna be a jesus thing and then i watched and i was like oh shit this is some weird shit. Yeah. No, I'm not going to lie. When the scene where they're out in the desert and they're waiting for God to come, 
for some reason reminded me of Linus in the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, where he's Short. keeping. I don't know why I thought that. I mean, it's like, oh, the Great Pumpkin's coming. You just yeah. got to be patient. And I just thought that she's waiting for the Great Pumpkin. I just wanted to be like, hey, hey. Like Ralph. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so funny. Because I was kind of like, I don't think God's coming. He's not like, coming. I can tell. This is about like a good like 40 minutes into the movie. I was like, I don't think God's coming. You know, she does have a legit complaint. At least he could have sent her a sign that says, look, wait a few days. It's coming. Yeah. And just hold out. Just chill. Anything. Just chill. Any, any type of sign. Don't she, kill your daughter yet. Yet. Just wait a little bit longer. You're almost there. Because, I mean, the actual rapture happened within like, a month. It or, was like, I think it was four days. Four days yeah, after yeah. that. Yeah. She had just gone to jail. Hadn't been to court yet. And then it happened. Yeah. And so so she could be a little chill, annoyed. Chill. Chill. But still, yeah. Completely different was the big budget rapture comedy, This is the End, from 2013. Yeah. This movie basically starred every comedian in Hollywood, from mm. Jay Baruchel, Seth Rogen, Craig Robinson, Danny McBride, James Franco, Jonah Hill, Emma Watson, Kevin Hart, Paul Rudd, Mindy Kaling, Michael Sarah, and Aziz Ansari, yeah. even Channing Tatum, Rihanna, and the Backstreet Boys are in it. I forgot about the Backstreet Boys yeah. being in it. Rough plot, Jay Baruchel and uh, Seth Rogen playing hyped up versions of themselves are on their way to James Franco's house for a super LA celebrity party when the end of the world starts. Mm-hmm. There are lots of demons and angels, and in the end, some of the comedians make it to heaven and some do not. Mm-hmm. I like this movie. Stupid, but I like, like some aspects of it. Yeah, I like enough of it to like it. Yeah, sure. How about that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, but the biggest rapture movie was Left Behind from 2000, <laughs> starring born again Christian Kirk Cameron. Jesus, Left Behind was a 16 book series based on prophecies in the books of Revelations, Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. It's the story of the end time set in present day where Christians have been raptured, so taken instantly to heaven, leaving the world shattered and chaotic. It's kind of similar to what happens in this show and book The Leftovers and the Stephen King book and TV movie The Langoliers. Mm -hmm. As people scramble for answers, a politician rises to become Secretary General of the United Nations, but he's actually the Antichrist foretold in the Bible. Coming to grips with the truth and becoming born-again Christians, a bunch of randos, including Kirk Cameron, begin their quest as the Tribulation Force. That's in caps, Tribulation Force. Is there a cool, like, logo, like Uh, the Avengers? Like, Tribulation Force, unite! To help save the lost and prepare for the coming tribulation in which God will rain down judgment on the world for seven years before ending it all. Left Behind was obviously not funded by Hollywood and was released straight to religious DVD and ended up getting a few theater dates as well. It sold very well to religious Christian groups, but got terrible reviews. And what else are you going to watch? Either Passion of the Christ or fucking... And they're going to watch The Rapture. Yeah, there's, they're not really happy with the way that The Rapture ended. So they're going to have something, yeah. I actually saw this a few years ago. <laughs> you know, it was when I used to have LimeWire and would just download a whole bunch of shit, you know. And, and you're like, like, I'm going to watch this. Did well, you expect like, it to be like The Room? of apocalyptic movies or something? I mean, I just remember it being really boring. I I always thought that it was going to be really scary. Right. You know, and that it was going to be like this terrifying thing or whatever. And it was just... The movie was a mess. It was very, it's overcomplicated, but usually with, I mean, when you think of something that's complicated, you would think that that would be exciting, and it was very boring. Huh. The New York Times review said, for all its intimations of fire and brimstone, the film isn't remotely frightening, and the high school level acting doesn't help. Ouch. Too bad it was remade with Nicolas Cage in 2014 to possibly even worse reviews. Entertainment (laughs) Weekly wrote, at best, Left Behind is shoddily made sensationalist propaganda, with atrocious acting that barely registers as entertainment. At worst, it's profoundly moronic. 
audiences, Christian or not, deserve better, and it's hard to imagine that the ham-fisted revelations in this schlock could serve any higher purpose. That is scathing. That is scathing. But here's the thing. I feel like that would have been gold. It should have been gold. It's Nicolas fucking Cage in Left Behind movie. Sure. If they had, like, Paul Verhoeven direct it, it would be gold. Yeah, It would be amazing. It would be awful, but it would be amazing. I don't understand how they fucked this up. Like, this could have been a really good movie. I think so, yeah. The funniest part about all of this is that the remake was nominated at the 2014 Razzies for Worst Picture and Worst Actor for Nicolas Cage, but lost both to Kirk Cameron for Saving Christmas. <laughs> wow. Do you remember Saving Christmas? No. Yeah. I remember it was a thing, yeah. but I didn't watch that oh, shit. Oh, my God. That, when I read that, I was like, yes! <laughs> a punchline to this joke! That's amazing. That was really great. The last main section of this is called Weird Weather, and I want to talk about three films. The first is The Last Woman on Earth from 1960, which was a Roger Corman movie that played on a double bill with Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, nice. It's about a married couple and another guy that are scuba diving in Puerto Rico one day, and when they surface, they can no longer breathe. They use their scuba tanks until the problem passes and realize that whatever happened, they're probably the only people that survived since they were not breathing oxygen at the time. A love triangle forms, and the husband kills the other man since the woman loves him now. The couple, no longer in love, now wonder what they'll do since I guess they can't reproduce if they aren't in love anymore because it was the 60s. So, Right. Of course. We talked about sun flares a little in the upfront, and we talked about Nicolas Cage and Left Behind, but here's the movie that combines them both horribly. That movie is Knowing from 2009. Oh, you remember Knowing? I remember that it existed. I did not see that. It was in the height of where movie titles also had numbers in mm-hmm. them for letters, and so I think, like, Knowing how to, I don't know, a three was a back i don't so stupid wasn't it released on a certain date like the date the mayan calendar ended or no that's another movie anyway but maybe knowing could actually end up in the aliens category because it's basically about aliens knowing all about the world's greatest catastrophes including the end of it Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie after Nicolas cage has been all over trying to figure out what the last catastrophe will be aliens come down and take his kid and another one to a different planet a solar flare kills everyone else on earth as the two kids play on their new planet so it's really shitty stupid movie. sounds terrible so you know how i make a top 10 list of my favorite movies every year Mm -hmm. i also made a list of my top 10 of the 2010s and my number one movie was an end of the world movie okay that movie was take shelter from 2011 yeah you seen this one no i'm gonna get you to watch it sometimes i know i do want to watch it i I remember that you love that movie yeah Take Shelter was Jeff Nichols' second film. He also made the movie Mud with Matthew McConaughey and Loving, which was my number one movie of 2016. And it focused around Michael Shannon, who keeps having prophetic dreams about different types of natural disasters, people trying to hurt his family, and an oil-colored rain that falls from the sky. Hmm. He slowly starts to unravel. He has a seizure. He loses his job. He builds a bomb shelter in the yard to protect his family. The audience is left kind of trying to figure out whether he's going crazy or whether all of this is real. Yeah. The ending, which I won't spoil, is one of the best, most unexpected and satisfying endings in any movie I've ever seen. You've mentioned this before, so now I need to watch it. I'm never going to tell the end. I will never spoil this movie because I want everybody to watch it, but it's so I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah. And closing this out, I have a grab bag of three films that don't fit in any of my categories. Okay. The first is Wally from 2004. Yeah, we just talked about that in Bad Companies. Yeah. In Wally, literally everyone has seen this movie. Yeah. Earth has been abandoned because it's full of garbage. 
Robots were sent to clean it up, but have since stopped working, and humans are all fat, living sedentary lifestyles in floating spaceships. Mm -hmm. So the Earth is filled with garbage and is unhabitable, but because we did all of that. Right. In The Cabin in the Woods from 2012, I don't really know what happened. I was super drunk when I saw the movie, (laughs) and I loved it and thought it was great. And I love Sigourney Weaver at the end. She is trying to please the gods with like some type of horror thing, but something goes wrong and they decide humanity isn't worth saving and the world basically comes to an end. Yeah. And then there was The World's End from 2013. Did you see this one? Yeah, I actually liked it. I did too. A bunch of college friends attempt to drink a beer at every one of 12 bars called The Golden Mile, but soon find out that some people, including some of the friends, have been replaced with androids. They all end up getting blasted back to the Stone Age, if I remember correctly, and the androids do end up winning, right? So they not so much win as they just leave. Yeah. But they basically take all their technology with them. Yeah. And they're like, fuck this planet, then. We don't want to stay here. And they leave... And then, yeah, everyone's sort of back in the Stone Age. There's no networks. There's no nothing. There's no electricity. So everyone's just, yeah, back in like medieval times, but modern. So it's post-apocalyptic. But it's an interesting twist. Number one, I didn't see that coming. No, me neither. Simon Pegg's character is finally like happy in this world with his like robot friends going around and like town to town and just being badasses and stuff. Yeah. I liked it. It was a good one. Unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. That is my episode on the end of the world. That's great. What do you think? It's good. It's a good topic for the end of our fifth season, but also, you know, some of these movies I'd forgotten about or didn't think I haven't thought about the fucking rapture film since I saw it in like 93. So thanks for bringing that that up. It is nuts. It is very nuts. One of those rapture movies that you didn't talk about I don't remember the title, but it was from the 70s. And I don't know if it was a made-for-TV movie or Mm -hmm. not, but there's a scene, and I remember somebody talking about it, I think I saw the scene, where you know somebody wakes up and the rapture has happened. They don't know what's going on. Just a, bun- a bunch of people are missing, and like they look in there, their whole family's gone. They look in the bathroom, and, like the electric razor is going in the mm-hmm. sink, but nobody's there. Yeah. I don't remember. It's from the seventies. I don't know the name of it, but it was a rapture-ish movie uh-huh. that happened, and I wish I could remember it and tell you about it. There were a bunch of TV rapture movies, um, yeah. And so you know, and you can kind of see what I did. I kind of focused around a couple of different yeah, yeah. movies and you know and themes, and then you know some of them I was kind of like I don't know what this is and just didn't uh, write on it so but we'll we'll see if we can dig that one up and there's an animated movie and I don't know I think it's like Dance of the Fireflies or something like that yeah and it's about this couple and they're like an old couple Mm -hmm. and this nuclear war happens but they don't really think it's a big deal except they're slowly dying from radiation poisoning and they're just rationalizing it away and they fucking die. Yeah. That was on the list uh, oh, was as it? well. Yeah. But I actually, I had so many nuclear movies. I bet. There were a I bet lot you did. of nuclear radiation movies. Yeah. So I just kind of centered around that one. But that was the first time I had heard about that movie. David Bowie did the soundtrack, I think. Oh, I didn't even know that. I had yeah. No idea. I, I'm pretty sure I could have gotten that completely wrong. But I'm, I think that that was one of them. So yeah, I cut mm. that one for time. Oh, it's a good episode. Great episode. Good. I'm and, glad you And depressing, it. which is how you like I love like it. I love to make everybody sad. That's like my favorite thing. If that's, if that's all I do in life is just make people sad and uncomfortable <laughs> then i'll feel like it was a life success worth success <laughs> all right well thanks everyone and we will see you next week for tom's last episode yeah we'll see you next week and you know unless we get raptured yeah then fuck y'all <laughs> then you don't then, get another episode yeah well, you right. probably won't care though nicholas cage will be here next week yeah to, Ugh, to talk no, to you guys about you. It. all right bye guys out.
Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, along with pictures, videos, and additional resources. As well as Sunday Slum Day, our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worst films every Sunday night. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. I guess you could say Nicolas Cage was left behind by Kirk Cameron. That's <laughs> terrible. Ooh, that was That's good. awful. I hope you leave that in there. I'm that's going terrible. to. Oh, I like, actually like that. All right.